Hello, humans. Hello, humans. Hello, humans of the world, of the Twin Cities of Minnesota, but of the world because you're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. And when I say of the world, it's because we are worldwide. We are getting listeners from across the world who come and listen to the show. Okay, big braggadocious Ellie Krug here. Hi, how are you? How are you? Now, I'm going to start out this show... Um, with an apology, because yours truly is a really not a great radio host. And I'll tell you why. I mean, forget about the fact that I'm full of ahs and ums and, and I interrupt uh, my guests and, and I'm not as nearly as smooth as some of the other uh, radio hosts that you hear on this station or any other station. I put all that aside, I'm a horrible planner. And so uh, today is Martin Luther King Day. I am taping this show on January 20th, but you are not going to hear it until January 27th, unless you're lucky enough that you're the three or four people on Facebook Live who always tune in. Otherwise, you're going to, and you're going to be wondering, why is this show about Martin Luther King? We had that last week, you know, why, why are you doing it? Well, that's because I'm not a good planner. And had I planned well, we would have been doing this show I would have taped this, you know, two weeks ago, and then you would have heard it on Martin Luther King Day, but there you go. Ah, so that's the way it is. So there's my apology. So that's why we're going to be talking about Martin Luther King. I'm going to be talking about Martin Luther King for pretty much this entire show. And so we have a great, we have a wonderful, wonderful uh, big interview coming up with uh, Reverend Dwayne Davis, who is a pastor at All God's uh, Children Church in Minneapolis, and you will love Reverend Dwayne. He is just um, quite lovely. Um, And then, uh, of course, you know you get my C block, where I'm going to do some reflecting about my work and things that are going on. And so, you know, this time last year, um, uh, I I, I spoke about Martin Luther King as well. I think uh, that didn't show up late until February because of the way things were being taped back then. Um, but but uh, so I went back to my, I've got a, a Martin, a, you know, Dr. King file in my house, in my uh, condo. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go get it. And what do you know? I had my show notes from last year as well. So um, I don't know how good your memories are, but maybe some of this is going to be a repeat for you. But Sorry, and uh, you know, um, there I am. Okay, um, and I'm 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 talking to you right off of uh, having gone to the Martin Luther King Day breakfast um, in downtown Minneapolis, and I did that. Uh, That's the first time I've ever gone to the breakfast, actually, um, and uh, I don't have an excuse for that. I should have been going to that breakfast probably for at least ten years, and in the future, I will make sure I do go. Uh, every year, but uh, so I'm on top of that, okay, and and um, and I, I'm <coughs> excuse me, we I Eric Holder spoke <coughs> at the breakfast today, <coughs> excuse me, and um, uh, unfortunately I had to duck out <laughs> three minutes into his talk to come here and tape this radio show. So, um, but there were other things during the day, and and one of the things. Um, and I'll talk about it in the C block, was just a conversation I had with somebody um, and, and some other reflections and understandings about the privilege that I have as a white-colored person. So um, one of 
Dr. King, as you know, if you follow me, you know that I am inspired by his work. I mean, his work shows up in the work that I do as a speaker and trainer on human inclusivity. Um, and one of the things about Dr. King that I absolutely adore um, is his letter from a Birmingham jail, uh, dated April 16, 1963. And, you know, the the letter actually was at the beginning, it was bits and pieces of things that Dr. King wrote on the margin of um, newspaper, uh, newspapers that he was getting while he was in the jail. He was, uh, he was jailed for 11 days in April of 1963. And the reason that he was jailed is that um, Dr. King, um, after, um, after, you know, Rosa Parks, after other things in organizing in the South, he believed that he needed to focus attention on Birmingham because at the time, uh, many believed that Birmingham was the most segregated city in America. And they began a campaign of boycotts of white color-owned businesses that, you know, African-Americans, black colored people would frequent. They began, uh, it was a campaign for boycotts um, so as to use political clout, just like um, uh, the Montgomery bus boycott that took place um, following Rosa Parks' arrest. Um, it was about uh, the African-American community using its, its, its economic clout <clears throat> to cause for change in Birmingham. And what the white color businesses did was, or the city did, is that they had gone to court and gotten a judge um, to issue an injunction against marching and, um, and other uh, activities. And uh, Dr. King and um, members of the Southern Leadership uh, Conference uh, all went and marched still. And Dr. King and other leaders were arrested and uh, placed in jail. <clears throat> At that time, um, there was a letter, um, public letter issued by eight white Alabama clergyman criticizing um, Dr. King and urging him to, he and his, his uh, colleagues, to not take to the streets as they had been doing, but to take to the courts and to challenge the, you know, the injunction uh, through the courts. Um, and, the, and the clergyman um, issued what they called a call for unity uh, this would be the white clergyman who acknowledged um, in their letter, that public letter, that they knew that there was injustice, but um, that that injustice needed to be cured through the legal process. Now, it's ironic now in 2020 that we've actually heard the same thing relative to the impeachment proceedings that are going on. Um, in, in, some, in some ways, that because the Democrats were not able to get certain witnesses to testify um, as the articles of impeachment were being uh, considered, and that they should have instead waited until the courts, you know, like a year and a half down the road, would have acted on subpoenas and, and uh, other things that the administration has withheld. Um, there are many parts of the letter from a Birmingham jail that I love, but my favorite parts are where he wrote, um, quote, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. 
We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Unquote. Single garment of destiny. I have talked about that before, and we have... We have forgotten how interrelated um, we are. Those who um, believe they are above the fold, those who believe that they are the top, believe that they are immune to the challenges and obstacles that humans who are other face. Now, we're into Ellie Krug's words. Um, that is until the people at the top can't have their lawns mowed, their bathrooms cleaned, or their jets flown, and the myriad of other ways that those in power are supported by people who are other. The last thing, because I'm going to run out of time, um, that um, is that something else that Dr. King wrote, and I, I just need to, it's in the letter from Birmingham jail, and I'm just going to read it right now. Quote, we should never forget that everything Adolf Hitler did in Germany was legal, and everything the Hungarian freedom fighters did in Hungary was illegal. It was illegal to aid and comfort a Jew in Hitler's Germany. Even so, I'm sure that had I lived in Germany at the time, I would have aided and comforted my Jewish brothers. If today I lived in a communist country where certain principles dear to my Christian faith are suppressed, I would openly advocate disobeying that country's anti-religious laws, unquote. So here's the deal. The words of Dr. King, written in the spring of 1964, remain vibrant, alive, meaningful, and so incredibly important in January of 2020. We need look no farther than the letter from a Birmingham jail to understand the significance of what is happening or not happening in America right now. This is why we need to remember Martin Luther King. Okay, that's my first segment. When we come back, I'll interview the Rev Reverend Dwayne Davis for the big interview. And you're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM. 9.50. Thanks. I'm Dr. Thomas Adams, President and CEO of Better Futures Minnesota. We're a social enterprise dedicated to rebuilding lives through housing, workforce development, health and family engagement, and coaching supports that give men the skills and relationships they need to succeed. Better Futures Minnesota engages men who had a history of incarceration, homelessness, poverty, untreated mental and physical health challenges to help them achieve self-sufficiency and a better future for themselves and their communities. Visit us at betterfuturesminnesota.com to learn how you can support our enterprise. Branding electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com.
we're back on AM 950, uh, LE 2.0 radio. Uh, well, I'll tell you, um, so I could continue to talk about Dr. King and his work, particularly the letter from Birmingham jail. I could probably spend an entire show and maybe two or three talking about him and his work. And if you have never read the letter, as I said in the last segment, please go and read the letter. It is incredibly important, an incredibly important piece of American history. And now, uh, for the big interview, we have somebody who himself is incredibly important. I am thrilled to have Reverend Dwayne Davis, who is the senior pastor of All God's Children Metropolitan Community Church in Minneapolis. Uh, he is, um, that church is an incredible church for LGBTQ people in the Twin Cities. Uh, Reverend uh, Dwayne, how are you? Are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you, Ellie. Thank oh, you for having me. <laughs> well, I'm just thrilled to have you. Thanks for being on the radio with me, and um, and and I really appreciate it. And we're doing this by telephone, so there are all kind of logistics about that, but we will make it work. So, yes, uh, so Reverend Duane, let me um, just fill in the the audience a little bit about how I met you. You and I got to meet each other um, in November. We were yes. we were both at the Outfront Minnesota uh, Gala, um, and we we both were there for a purpose because both of us uh, received awards at that gala. That's really not something I've really talked a whole lot about on the radio, but but we both did, and I got to meet you, and I got to meet your husband. Yeah, uh, yes. Dreamboat would also be a word <laughs> I would use towards him, and uh, and and you and I talked just a little bit, but you and you had you gave such a great speech at the gala, and so I wanted to have you on the show. So welcome, welcome. Thank you, thank you. Um, so let's, um, let's just kind of dive into it a little bit. Um, you, you got to the ministry, not by way of the usual route. No. Cause you've yeah. got, you, you have your feet, your beginning feet were in the political world. Do I have that That's right? That's right. Can that you, is correct. All right. Tell us about this and then give us a little bit of the, <laughs> of how you got to Minneapolis because it's not a straight line. I know that. <laughs> no, it's not a straight line. Well, you know, one of the things that happened, I grew up in, in Mississippi and uh, knew that I was uh, a little gay boy in Mississippi. And the first thing I did when I graduated from high school was go off to Washington, D.C. to go to school. But I also uh, knew that I wanted to uh, be in politics in some form or fashion. Uh, I, I, I was a, I'm a preacher's kid, so I was always around the church. But because I was gay, I, I assumed and, and my church made it very clear, of course, that uh, they could not abide uh, a gay kid. I, you know, that right. was not, it was a no-go. Are we and talking, so, are we talking 1960s? <laughs> no, this is the, this is the 1980s. Oh my <laughs> God. Oh, <laughs> okay. All right. Sorry. <laughs> I graduated from high school in the 80s. <laughs> okay. Sorry, dear. All right. <laughs> So, um, but no, I, uh, and, and so one thing that I, I was raised, of course, be proud, be a proud black man. I was raised to be proud of myself. And so I did not think there was anything wrong with my sexuality or who I was, but I decided, I grew up in a Pentecostal tradition, but I decided that church was not for me. Now, my, I had, but I had been given a, a wonderful upbringing in service and beloved community and, and the belief that all of humanity 
was blessed. So it was an interesting way to be raised, uh, given that, you know, the tradition that I was raised in also uh, looked very negatively upon uh, homosexuality. What uh, can I but, ask? How old were you when you came out and how did your parents react? I was I came out to myself when I was 14. I came to my parents after I graduated from college uh, when I was 22. That would have been like 1993 three or 94 94 okay. i came out to them uh and they did not react well and uh it, it took uh, a few years of of work for us to reconcile and to for them to really begin to become comfortable and accepting of of me and of kareem uh, my husband um but I was in politics for a very long time and I never although I was not a part of church I never lost what I uh what I had gained in in being a part of a religious community and throughout my years in I worked about 15 to 20 years in politics but there was this drive this sort of longing uh for something deeper more meaningful and uh more powerful uh, although I loved what I was doing I tell people all the time uh, I did not. I, I went into ministry kicking and screaming because I enjoyed what I was doing. Well, you were, and just so the <laughs> so the audience knows, you were a legislative aide for several different Congress uh, people. And what I found interesting about your your bio is that you kind of hopped around. You must have been high quality um, because, <laughs> well, because yeah. you were getting picked up by different legislators. You were not affiliated with those um, those legislative districts. So that right, speaks right. well. That speaks well about uh, the quality of the work that you were doing. Yeah. Yes, thank you. I, I, it's something I really was not only very good at, but I really did enjoy it. And the most recent a member that I work for is uh, Leader Hoyer, who uh, continues to be a, a, a someone that I, I love and, and, and follow very closely. Um, anyway, I, I just got this call, Ellie, and and I I listened to it, and uh, and I made a real big change in my life with the support of my my husband and my friends and family. I went to seminary and. Uh, I continue to do just all of the work that I was doing. I think the big, the last big project I worked on, of course, before I came here, was uh, the marriage equality fight at the Supreme Court. I was uh, working for uh, the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church as her uh, domestic policy advisor in Washington D.C. Wow! Uh, and that's how that's wow. how all God's children heard about me. Uh, they did a nationwide search, and they started asking questions about me and wondered if I would come to the Twin Cities. And I, I again, it was one of those things where I said, "I'm going to listen to what uh, is in the air here," uh, and I did. And and we had a I had a wonderful conversation with all God's children and saw that there was an opportunity to do even. Uh, more interesting and exciting work. And uh, a little bit over six years ago, uh, I, I made the move. We made the move. And, and it has been the great privilege of my life to serve uh, all God's children and, and, and that community and, 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 and Minnesota. I, I mean, I really uh, love the work I'm doing with Outfront and, and Claire Housing, all of these organizations that are doing such great work. So it it was a natural, even though it, it it wasn't a straight line. Every place that I've landed was a natural, and the 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 through line, of course, uh, has been service and community and beloved community. And and <laughs> I'm so grateful that I've had the opportunities to do that kind of work. 
Well, it's interesting you use the word beloved because that was uh, partly something I talked about last week on on this show about the mm. power of that word beloved. But um, well, we're going to have to take a break, uh, Reverend Wayne. Mm-hmm. But when we come mm-hmm. back, um, I want to make sure our audience understands uh, the special nature of all God's children. Yes. And um, and then I want to talk with you a little bit about, since it is MLK Day, what it's like to be an African-American man in America right now. Okay? Yes. So we'll cover yes, that when we come you. back. All right, listeners, you're listening to me, um, Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio. I've been... I am in the process of interviewing Reverend Dwayne Davis from All God's Children. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Um, email me at elliejkrug at gmail. Follow me on Twitter, at elliekrug is the handle. When we come back, we'll do more of the interview with uh, Reverend uh, uh, Dwayne. Thanks. Bye. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works, LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. At Better Futures Minnesota, our purpose is to fuel and guide our men's desire to turn their lives around and walk a new path toward better health and success. We are intent on changing the costly systems and practices that produce poor results and perpetuate the chaos and cycles of dependency experienced by men who have faced incarceration. We are building a movement that supports personal transformation and a healthy, vibrant community of men. Visit us at betterfuturesminnesota.com to learn how you can support our movement. And we're back on AM 950 LA 2.0 radio. Um, uh, I'm, in, I'm interviewing Reverend Dwayne Davis, uh, who is the senior pastor at All God's uh, Children, Metropolitan Community Church in Minneapolis. Reverend Dwayne, tell us about the church, because it is an incredibly special uh, place, special church. Yes, uh, All God's Children is a part of the Universal Fellowship of Metropolitan Community Churches, which was founded in 1968 by the Reverend Troy Perry uh, in California. Uh, found he Reverend Perry founded that church uh, for the express purpose of having a place for LGBT people to uh, worship just as they are, uh, without any uh, without any sense or any uh, uh, um, sanction against them because of their sexualities or their gender expressions. Um, and in 1974. Uh, some young people at the University of Minnesota uh, had heard about Roy, Reverend Troy Perry and decided that they wanted to meet. They had started meeting as a uh, they were they were gay men uh, specifically started meeting for Bible study and they heard about Troy Perry and decided that they wanted to start uh, a church plant here in the Twin Cities and they did so in 1974 started in 1972 1974 they were chartered as a part of Metropolitan Community Churches. Uh, and uh, so we just celebrated 45 years last year, uh, 45 years of ministry. And one of the things that's so special about this church is because 
a lot, not too many people know, especially now, given that there are so many denominations and churches that uh, really work to be open and affirming to LGBTQ people. But uh, All God's Children has been here for a very long time, and it ministered at a time where people could not be who they were, where they could be fired if it was discovered that they were gay or lesbian or bisexual or trans. Uh, and during the height of the uh, the deadliest times of the AIDS epidemic, it, this was the church where um, you could you could go and know that you could have a memorial service and not have to worry about uh, a pastor or clergy, uh, you know, claiming that you were bound for hell. So all that children has been there, and even today, uh, we remain uh, a safe place and space yep. for a lot of people who continue to uh, be challenged by religious abuse uh, and rejection. Every, at least once a month, Ellie, I get a call for from some young person from greater Minnesota uh, who happens to be gay or trans saying, can it be true that God loves me? And so mm. I know mm. that All God's Children is still a very vital uh, place uh, of, of refuge for many of our LGBTQ people. Well, you know, I have uh, spoken at the church a couple of times uh, before your tenure, and I mm. remember going once, uh, and I don't even know if I was speaking, I might have just been in attendance, and I looked over and there was a man, uh, early 20s, just sitting by himself, mm -hmm. and I asked him, um, had he ever been to the church before? He said no, and he said he was from greater Minnesota. Uh, and he yes. had driven, you know, an hour, over an hour just to come mm. to that church that day so that he yes. felt that he had, was, had a place where he could be loved. Let That's me, uh, on this day, on this day of Martin Luther King remembrance, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Reverend Dwayne, um, let's talk a little bit about what it's like to be an African-American man in America, okay? Mm. Can, yes. you, can you give me an idea... Um, of what, of, of, of the state of America for people like you, okay? And mm -hmm. I've got quotation marks around that. Hopefully you know that I'm very... <laughs> right. I, yes, I understand. You, you know, Ellie, this is a, this is a very, it's a, it's a very interesting question because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in, I'm in my late forties now. And I remember there have been periods in, in, in my life where there had been an outsized focus uh, on, uh, on African-American men in different ways. Um, but I think one of the, 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 one of the things that I find myself wondering, and it, it just so happens that we are in a period of extreme and very visible backlash. And so I have a very different sort of approach to this. One of the things that always been, I think, uh, a, a, a source of some uh, comfort and hope is that regardless of even some of the conditions on the ground, that is issues of mass incarceration or police uh, brutality or law enforcement or strain uh, relations with the African American community, one of the things that we could uh, hold on to was that uh, our government and our leaders, particularly the president, was uh, a reliable interlocutor in, 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 in understanding our well-being and our plight and what is going on in the world. I think the scariest part about where we are today 
is that there is no indication that uh, certain parts of the highest levels of our government are in, uh, in an ongoing conversation and relationship with us about the issues uh, that we're facing. As well, a matter of fact, we have a president, I think, that stokes the worst kinds of feelings and in, in backlash. And it is quite frightening uh, to see that our government is no longer uh, a reliable. And I know there were other periods in our history where that was the case. But in my lifetime, this is, seems to be the worst time. Well, and, and you know, it's interesting that you say that because we are taping this on MLK Day. Um, I, right before um, we went on air, I looked at Twitter and I saw a Twitter feed that President Trump um, actually today has nothing on his calendar to commemorate um, uh, Martin Luther King's uh, day at all. And, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, uh, unbelievable, frankly. just Unbe- Unbelievable. So. unbelievable. <laughs> and Reverend, Wait, and, and- Reverend Duane, let me just stop you. I'm, we're getting a little bit of static. As you're, you must be moving something. If you could just make sure you hold the phone just sort of okay. stationary. I'd appreciate that. Um, okay. So, so, all right. So we don't have... Uh, um, we don't have that buffer. We don't have the moral leader um, right. at all for our country. And I agree with you. That's what makes it most scary. And certainly what makes it scary-er is the idea that we could get four more years of that. And, yes. And then, yes. of course, what the picture would look like. You know, I um, I wanted to ask you, and, and I got your permission uh, when before we went on the air, one question. I, you know, I sat, uh, I was at the MLK uh, breakfast this morning. My listeners have already heard that. I sat next to an African American man. I would guess that David was in his late forties, maybe early fifties. And I asked him. We just started having conversation. He asked where I was from originally, Iowa, etc. And he relayed to me that about five years ago he had one distinct memory of Iowa, but that's because he had been stopped by the police on uh, for apparently really no reason. And uh, he was with his wife and his brother-in-law and that eventually the police, you know, kind of tore his car apart, searching it for marijuana. And mm-hmm. so that, that led me to want to ask this question because when I am in rooms where I feel that it's safe to ask this question, I do ask the African-American men in the room, how many times have you been stopped by the police within the last 10 years? Um, and mm-hmm. so, Reverend Duane, can I ask you that question? How many times have you been stopped? Uh, uh, I've been stopped about five or six times. And uh, let me analyze that. I think there there were three times, uh, out of those five or six times, there were three occasions where it, it really did not make sense uh, for the reasons that were given that I was stopped. It, it didn't quite hold up. Those other times, uh, we could we could come to some kind of understanding. I either was I was going a little fast, or there was something that they noticed about the car. And in those time, the times where it was it was appropriate to be stopped, uh, I will say that I was not sanctioned in any way. I, w- I wasn't given a ticket or anything like that. It was a it was a real conversation. I can kind of see okay. uh, uh, why. But there were three occasions uh, where it was so bizarre why i was stopped and and in those occasions and i i will admit this and i i would not suggest this i'm a i'm a person who tends to uh get into a discussion and a debate as to what actually occurred and in those three occasions i uh 
um, thank goodness I had in, in those cases, I had my friends or husbands who would sort of tell me, hey, you know, be quiet, right. just let them do what they do. Um, but I, I was angry in those on those three occasions where I could could point to uh, what I thought was unfair treatment, especially in the, the reasons that they gave. There were other things that were going other people doing what I was doing or I, I was not perceptibly going uh, uh, faster or anything like that. Uh, and I would get into a, a debate with them. And 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 at that time, those three occasions, too, I will admit to you. Um, that was a time in my life where I uh, was uh, was working for a corporation and I was driving, you know, luxury cars that certainly call attention to yourself and uh, and I and on the eastern seaboard. And so uh, on, on 95, uh, which yep. is notorious. Uh, so I, I but again, uh those were those were occasions that uh, I really understood, and it was something that I had come to expect. But nonetheless, uh, I really did uh, feel aggrieved about it, and and would debate and and try to uh, get some understanding. Um, I, I one of the things I want to say about that too is that again, I, I was talking to some students from Saint Olaf uh, last week about uh, these issues in particular. Uh, and one of the things that I, I said to them, and one thing that I understand even about this whole idea of, of uh, African-American men being disproportionately targeted, is that uh, one thing that we don't talk much about in this country is how that behavior has been incentivized over a long period of time. And people wonder, or even people who seem to question if it's actually happening, the truth of the matter is, is that that kind of behavior toward African-American men has been incentivized uh, from as early as the 1960s. Uh, and if that is the case, we need to begin to think and talk about how do we, uh, uh, you know, change uh, the incentive structure for that kind of policing. Right. Well, and the some of the incentive is uh, it's about ticketing and then court fines yes. and court and, and service fees and all that kind of stuff that, yeah. you know, the well and and um, and we've only got about two minutes left. But the reason I, if I go into a room with mainly white colored men, OK, and ask the question, how many times have you been stopped in the last 10 years? I guarantee you very, very, very few would come up with an answer to say five or six um, or yeah. three. I, I just guarantee you that. And we know that. And it really hurts me to hear that you say, use the phrase, I'd ex you know, I'd come to expect this. Now, but I need to move on because we are going to run yeah. out of time. And we yeah. have at this point about a minute and a half. So Reverend Duane, what made you an idealist? I ask everybody that. <laughs> uh, I think that <laughs> that's a very good question. You know, one of the I grew up with parents. Uh, my parents. I'm the youngest of 15 children. Oh my here. God! <laughs> <laughs> and I grew. I was. I'm the son of of a of a of a pastor and his wife who began their life as sharecroppers in Jim Crow, Mississippi. Wow! But by the time I was born in the 70s. Uh, they had built a life for us. Uh, I knew nothing of the struggle uh, that they experienced. Um, and so uh, 
my father was able to imagine an outcome uh, better than anything he had previously experienced. And so that has been the kind of thing that my life has been about, that uh, you can look at the world and see as it, and see it, as it is and <laughs> still hope for uh, that there's a bigger possibility. And, and I do believe that. That's why I'm a big fan of Dr. King, one of my favorite people all the time is that he he too could uh he was just going to hold out for the possibility that we could be better right. that the country could be better and i believe that too every time it, it i say it to people in my church i say it to my community uh notwithstanding all that we are facing and the challenges that are before us uh us working together us living into our i think uh calling to be beloved community that we could we could really uh, build a bigger, better way of existing as a people. Well, thank you for that. I mean, that I think that that's just I think that that's consistent with the way a lot of idealists think. Um, and and on that note, unfortunately, we've got to end the interview because Reverend Dwayne, I've got to go on and do the rest of the show. But I wanted to just tell you, I very much appreciate you being on LE 2.0 Radio. And thanks for giving me of your time. And most importantly, thank you for being the role model that you are for others in our community, both in the LGBTQ community, but as well as in the African-American community, as well as in the human community. So I just wanted to thank you for that. Well, thank you for having me. It's such a wonderful opportunity. I, I, I'm so grateful for this opportunity to talk to you. We had such a wonderful conversation at the Outfront Gala, and I'm so glad you remembered to call me. Yeah. <laughs> I really appreciate this opportunity. <laughs> well, you're welcome. So, um, all right, well, hold on the line after we're done here. But uh, listeners, we've been speaking to uh, Reverend uh, Dwayne Davis, the senior pastor at All God's Children Metropolitan Community Church in Minneapolis. Um, go check out the church. It is an incredibly welcoming place, and you don't know you don't have to be LGBTQ to go. Um, and everyone else, when we come back from the break, I'll do my C block. Uh, you're listening to me, Ellie Krug on AM 950, um, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We'll be back in a sec. Better Futures Minnesota impacts the community by addressing root causes of poverty, homelessness, dependency on public assistance, and high rates of untreated trauma that often lead to incarceration. The lives of men served have been marked by chaos, violence, and loss, which contribute to feelings of devaluation, rage, and lost human potential. Healings from this trauma is essential before participants can succeed as workers, fathers, and responsible community members. Learn how you can support our efforts at BetterFuturesMinnesota.com. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. And we're back on AM 950, LE 2.0 Radio. Okay, Reverend Dwayne, I've got to tell you, 
I, I, I think I probably could do a whole show with him and his, you know, his insight. Okay. And, and so listeners, all right. You know, there, there, we, we don't ask, we don't ask the questions that we need to be asking. And I know it's always uncomfortable, all of that kind of stuff. But if you think you have the proper respectful opening, you know, why don't you ask an African-American man that you know and ask him two questions? What's it like to be you in America right now? And then secondly, how many times you've been stopped by the police in the last five or ten years? I guarantee you the answers are going to surprise you. But it's important to have that information. Now, you know, I'm a white color person. I have extreme privilege, even though I'm transgender and the voice doesn't work with the appearance, all that kind of stuff. And I'm subject to being othered and marginalized. All right. I know that. But I've got to tell you, it is never lost on me that I have the freedom to walk into places at least until I open my mouth, without getting what I call the look from people, the look being a reaction by another human that tells you that maybe you don't belong or that you are different. I have privilege. I don't, I don't do that. But when people of color other than white color here in Minnesota and in many parts of America and certainly in parts of the world, when people of color other than the white color walk into a restaurant in Minnesota, walk into a store, walk into a movie theater, when they, quotation marks around that word they, when they walk in, very often, they get the look and they are reminded that they are other. Now, you know, I am given a number of talks about you know, what white fragility, the inability for white colored people to talk about skin color because it makes many white colored people nervous. Um, but I've, I've given that talk and there've been a number of times I've given other talks and where I've really called out people in the audience, mainly white colored people in the audience about needing to think differently. Um, and about how people of color other than the white color, particularly, um, African Americans who have a heritage of enslavement in this country about how the world is different for them. And I have had on multiple occasions, African-American people, black colored people come up to me afterwards and say, Ellie, I could never say what you just said. I could never say it. You know, maybe they could say the words, but they know what the reaction would be. That would be crossed arms. It would be eyes up to the ceiling. It would be the <sighs> kind of sound that we humans make. And, and on those occasions, African-Americans have come to me and said, Ellie, I could not say what you just said, but thank you for saying it. Not that I'm, you know, like a savior, not that I'm like, oh boy, you know, this is, you know, Ellie Krug, big special person. No, that's not why I am sharing this story with you. I am sharing this story because it is a different country for people who are not white color. And I know that many of my listeners, you know that. I know that. I know that you know that. But there's a thing about knowing it intuitively, and then there's this other thing about seeing it up front, being awake enough to see it, paying attention enough to see it, and then 
resisting it, calling it out. You know, I mean, letter from a Birmingham jail, calling it out. That's what we need to do. And we are running out of time. We are. And I don't mean to scare people. I know. I mean, I've been on this kick all, you know, since the beginning of the year talking about how the clock is ticking. And I'm sorry to continue to remind you about that. I am an optimistic, positive person. But I'm also mindful of the fact that the clock is ticking. So, anyway. All right. Well, I, you know, um, go, go. Go, I, I know I said it earlier, but go get the letter from a Birmingham jail. Print the letter out and read it over and over and over again. And you will be amazed at how, <laughs> how relevant it is even yet today. I know I'm harping on, you know, this is Radio Host 101, don't do. I'm harping on the same subject throughout the, the show. Sorry about that. Oh, and I'm apologizing a whole lot. Oh, well. Okay, well, this may be one of the reasons why you like me so much. All right, I've got to, like, thank our sponsors at this point, and then we're done. So a big thank to my sponsors. Brending Electrolysis, let Bev over in St. Paul know uh, that I sent you. She does really great work. And also a big thanks to my other sponsor, Better Futures Minnesota. I am looking for other sponsors as well as we go into 2020 a big thanks to my producer brett johnson brett you are always the best and to you my listeners thanks for giving me a little bit of grace today um, about you know how this show turns up on the day the week after mlk day but if you like what i uh, you hear from me reach out to me okay at lhakrug at gmail.com i'd love to hear from you and um And uh, next week, I got other things to share with you. Take care, be good, and be brave. Bye.